Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and personal development leader, Jack Canfield. His uh, new book is I Can Believe in Myself. The power of positive thinking is one of the most valuable lessons we can teach our children. And sitting down together to read a book that gently approaches the topic is the perfect way to open the conversation. Jack Canfield has created a relatable tale about a young girl's struggle to move beyond her comfort zone. Parents and teachers alike will appreciate the themes of compassion, confidence, and self-esteem contained in this beautifully illustrated book. As the co-creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, as we all know, uh, Canfield has taught millions of individuals his formula for success. He is the author and co-author of more than 150 books, including 66 bestsellers with more than 100 million copies in print in 47 languages around the world. Welcome to the show, Jack. Nice to have you on again. My pleasure, Catherine. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I guess before the show, I asked the wrong question. Are you retired? Which absolutely not. What did you say? Ten hours a day you work. So, uh, and this is just, I guess, <laughs> one of your accomplishments. Uh, it's a good book. I have grandchildren now, so I appreciate it even more uh, than perhaps I would have if I didn't. Um, you know, I guess the first question is, is the formula for success the same for children as it is for adults? I mean, uh, you know, I guess I mentioned the th- compassion, confidence, and self-esteem. We all want that. But uh, do we follow the same path? I think so. I think, you know, I have a grandson who's uh, turning eight in about uh, 10 days, so I can relate. And that was one of the reasons I wrote this book was for him as well as for all the other children. And I think that kids, all of our success depends on what we believe about ourselves and our, our capacity. Are we smart? Are we attractive? Are we athletic? Can we do mathematics? You know, do people like us? Are we worthy of love, etc.? And so a lot of kids grow up with this belief that they can't do certain things, you know, that they're not able to do sports, they can't figure out a problem, they're not able to do a cartwheel, whatever it might be. And so I think that as adults, we have the same issues. You know, I, I can't quit a job I don't like and find another job. I can't leave an abusive marriage, you know, and survive. I can't start my own business. I can't write a book or whatever it might be. And so this belief that I'm not able, not capable, is a huge, huge belief that a lot of us live with. And it often starts in childhood, you know, where somehow we can't seem to get the love and attention of our parents. We don't feel we're worthy. You know, maybe they get divorced, they're addicted to alcohol or drugs, and so, you know, they're workaholics, etc. And so they just don't have time for us. And as a result of that, you know, we make a lot of decisions. Most people are living with beliefs that they started to form when they were between the ages of three and eight. And I always tell people, <laughs> if you were getting on a plane and you saw the pilot getting on, he was six years old, you'd be a little bit concerned. Yeah. And yet many of us are going around with our life being piloted by a six-year-old inside of us who made some decisions that are very self-limiting as children. So beliefs are a big part of it, and that's what this book's about. Now there's more than beliefs. We have to have support and encouragement, uh, you know, the team that will back us up and, you know, help us get where we want to go, etc. But I think it all starts with believing in yourself. But what about, Jack, when you, and I was thinking about it as I was re- reading the book, actually, uh, what about the kids, the generation, I don't know if it's Gen X uh, or millennials, where you, you've had your parents tell you not only I can believe in myself, but I can do anything I want, and, and uh, you have 
parents who maybe over, I don't know, overly support is the wrong word, but telling people they have an inflated sense of self. There is a certain part of this generation Mm -hmm. or the younger generation who sort of uh, believe that they can do anything. They're the most important thing. How does that fit into, I guess, what we've been talking about? Well, I hear that. I, I haven't seen as much of that as I read about. I think, you know, when I, I talk to people, mainly there's this sense of them feeling stuck, that they're not creating what they want. But I think a lot of kids have a sense of entitlement because they got all the trophies for participation instead of earning them and things like that. I see that out there as well. I'd rather have someone that believed they could do anything and was willing to try. Uh, often you believe you can, but you're not willing to actually put yourself on the line, you know, put yourself in the arena, as it were. But um, I think it's more, I, I see a lot of kids today that feel entitled. I was just reading an article about kids who were stealing all the silverware from their university when they would move off campus they'd steal it from the cafeteria or you know where they go through the the food line in their dorm uh, because they feel like they deserve it you know I deserve to have it even though I didn't earn it and so I see some of that out there I think that's a big issue that we're not seeing the end of yet either yeah and that's not exactly that isn't I can believe in myself which is different than that I think don't you right yeah oh no totally totally yeah totally I just you know, so many kids are given so much today. Obviously, we have huge disparity in our culture. We've got people that are very, very poor, and we have people that are very, very rich, and the middle class, as we know, is, is shrinking. And I've, I've met kids who are 21, 23, 25 years old, and they're still living at home, and not because they, you know, they, they can't afford to move out. They don't want to move out. You know, they've got a cleaning lady who cleans their room. They're parents take care of them. They got five cooked meals a, a week. You know, they got the big screen TV and Sounds they good move to out, me. they're going to be. <laughs> exactly. You know, As you're gonna, describing move it. Out, there's yeah. going yeah. to be three people in a, an apartment with not so many goodies, you know. And yeah. so this failure to, uh, to leave the nest, if you will, uh, they talk about failure to bloom, you know, I see a lot of that out there as well. But, you know, we're all on a different path, different time, different culture, different reality. Uh, but I do believe that we have to, at some point, become self-sufficient and you know, walk on our own legs and fly with our own wings, if you will. What do you think the effect of COVID? I mean, you are the expert in this. Is going to be on these kids this this well this year of quarantine and not mm-hmm. going to school or going to school half the time or, um, you know, going forward. You think some kids will flourish and others won't? I mean, which. Yeah, I think it depends on what they experienced. You know, I mean, a lot of kids were at home. Both parents were working online. Maybe there's not enough bandwidth or they didn't get the kind of supervision they needed to be focused on their schoolwork. And so we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of depression among kids because they're not able to be with their friends, their grandparents. There's a lot they can't do. And so, you know, we talk about that as I do all these interviews. Here we've written a book called I Can. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden you can't visit your grandma, you can't go to soccer practice, you can't go to the park, you know, et cetera. And so uh, what we have to do is help kids focus on what they still can do. You know, you can practice certain things, you can learn new skills. My grandson has learned how to make everything out of cardboard. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's incredible. He's got, he's made like a weapons uh, factory, you know, with, with swords <laughs> and, and knives and all this kind of stuff. And he's just a little crass person, you know. So he's been focusing on what he can do, even though what he can't do. I think he's prepared a lot of kids, for Armageddon. 
Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, th- I do think it's been hard on a lot of kids. There's no question. Uh, there are some kids that are almost a year behind in education, uh, according to the statistics we're seeing coming out of certain tests in the schools. And um, their social skills are not as evolved. And there's a certain set of loneliness that some of them begin, and some of them become addicted to to video games and things like that and social media. So we're going to have to see how that impacts people as well. But I think one of the things, you, or the thing that you say, you know, you have to think about what I can. And I, I'm thinking about this past year of quarantine and kids having to stay home and they're every, all the family has is all together. Well, prior to COVID, we were complaining that kids never got to see their parents. They were in daycare. Their parents were working. They were, you know, involved in other kinds mm-hmm. of activities. And now, when you have the opportunity, and I think some people really have taken advantage of that, the I can attitude that you talk about in the book, actually, in the, um, mm-hmm. and have enjoyed that process. I, I, you know, I, I can't go anywhere, but I can stay home with my kids. And that can, there's a lot of positivity that comes from that as well. I think a lot, I think a lot of kids have spent more time with their parents. I know I spent more time with my wife in the last year. I usually travel <laughs> two weeks a month, you know, and it's been great. We're, we're really happy about it. Uh, it's made us really reconsider how much I did travel because I was always running workshops and giving speeches at conferences and things. And, um, but I think it's been all, it's also been hard on the parents. Uh, a lot of parents are working. And they're taking care of their kids at home, and they're supervising their education, making sure they do the work they're supposed to do, and trying to keep them entertained. And I have several of my staff who work at home and who have kids and are still doing the job they need to do for me. And it's challenging. I think it's probably more difficult for the parents than it actually is on the kids, um, especially if kids have brothers and sisters, they're a little able, more able to be entertained. If you're a, a single child, I think my grandson, who's a single child, has had a great year. I would tell you my daughter-in-law, it's been really challenging for her. Um, she's a photographer, and you know, being able to do all the stuff she has to do for the shoots she's responsible for and take care of my son, uh, grandson, rather, it's, uh, it's been hard. Yeah, I think that's you know that's well said. I think it's much more difficult, to, and also depending on what profession, it's difficult for the parents. I mean, I know mm-hmm. uh, I have three grandchildren, a set of twins. They were two when this whole thing, when COVID, when the pandemic started, and an older brother who's four. And they have been living with me, the intergenerational, and my son and my daughter-in-law. Um, I think we've had enough togetherness. <laughs> we, we were the opposite. You, <laughs> grandmother has been there the whole time. So, But They've had a ball together. I mean, they've had a good time. I, I'm not sure about their parents, mm-hmm. as you say, but they've done well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, three yeah. little boys that, yeah, so they played together. But let's talk about the book because I really, I can, I can, I can. And because you, you have some exercise, there are a couple exercises, I guess, at the end of the book that parents yeah. or teachers can do mm-hmm. after reading the book to their sure. to the children. Let me, let me. Yeah. Let me describe the book really quickly, and then we can talk about the exercises. So okay. the, the book's about a girl named Molly who's supposed to be the star of the class the next day and do a kind of a show-and-tell, and she's absolutely terrified to do it. She believes she can't possibly stand up and talk in front of so many people. And that, that turns out to be the number one fear in America is fear of public speaking. Most, I think the third most popular fear is fear of dying, which says most people would rather die than talk in front of a group. <laughs> and so poor Molly is like, I can't do it. And so she comes to school the next day and says, I can't do it because I have a sore throat. My mom told me I shouldn't talk. And so the teacher says, okay, then don't talk. And then she realizes she can't talk, so she can't 
play with her friends on the playground. So she's watching them all, and they're all saying things like, I can't tie my shoes up by myself. I can't swing by myself. Someone needs to push me. I can't climb on the monkey bars. And she's realizing all these I can'ts. And then she gets this idea for her presentation, which is to take this paper shredder, have everyone write down their I can'ts, and then put them through the paper shredder and replace them with I can. And so it's a really cute story. As you said, it's really well illustrated by this uh, Portuguese illustrator we found, Eva Morales. And what happens at the end is even the teacher who said, I can't get through the morning without a cup of coffee, shreds that through the shredder. And everyone then makes a list of what they can do. And so what we have is a number of activities, one of which is called the I Can't Funeral, where either using a paper shredder or, you know, a fireplace or you can bury them in the backyard where you have your kids write all their I Can'ts down and then you have a funeral for the I Can'ts and basically there's a little eulogy in the back of the book you can read like somewhat like I Can't has survived for many years, even in the White House has been, you know, a place where it lived for many times. And now it's gone, but it's survived by its cousins. I can, I will, and I'll try. And it goes on to talk about that. And you make a ritual for the kids. Kids are very much moved by rituals. It locks it into their memory. And then you can have a little celebration, you know, with juice and snacks and so forth. And then we have another exercise in the back of the book where uh, the children have a I can card where they have this card they're given and it says I can, and they have to bring it with them wherever they go to school, you can also do it at home. And um, they, if they lose the I can card, you know, the, the whole purpose is to see, can you go a whole quarter of a semester with your I can card, bring it to class, putting it on your, your table. And so they begin to see, I can do things I thought I couldn't do. And so there's, there's that exercise in there as well. We have something called uh, arm muscle testing. This is really powerful for both adults and kids, where you have a child put their arm out to the side, you push down on it, tell them to resist, and they get, you get their base you know, resistance pressure. And then you have them say, I can't do something. Like, I can't play the piano. I can't play soccer. Their arm goes instantly weak. Then you have them say, I can do the same thing. Their arm is strong. And they realize that whenever they say, I can't, they're actually weakening their whole neuromuscular system, and it helps them not be able to do it. Like, I can't do math. I can't spell. And it actually has an impact on their body and their, their, their brain. And they see that. And so we, we, we show them that as well. And there's a number of things like that that we have them do. So they begin to realize this isn't just a concept. This is a real thing in their life. And that is so true. I, I have an example of that. I had a son who was a swimmer in, in high school and college but uh, and went to states. This is in New York. And he was a sprinter. And it, it was sort of exactly what you're saying. You're giving an example of the arm wrestling thing. Oh, people would ask him, well, what do you think about when you're when you're swimming and you're you're in the race, he said, I think I can get to the other end of the pool. And that's all I'm thinking about. I can get as fast as I can. And that's the mm-hmm. only thing. That's what, and that's how you do it. But if you were, as you say, thinking, I can't do it, you're not going to be able to do it. And, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, we had this America Read Aloud day a couple weeks ago. And the, the sheriff of Santa Barbara County, where I live, chose the I Can't Believe It Myself book to read on television to all these kids. And later I was sent a video of this teacher that right before her test, she has all the kids chanting, I can do math. I am smart. And you know, she'll say it and then they repeat it. And it was really cool. And I think that affirmations is another thing that we teach, the idea of repeating. Whatever you repeat over and over, your subconscious mind begins to believe. 
And so repetition of affirmations of anything you think you want to be able to do, I can swim, I can win, I can play the piano, I can make the soccer team, that kind of thing. And this repetition of whether it's in a class or in a home, like I have a set of you know about 10 affirmations that I do every morning uh, in terms of goals that I'm working on. And uh, every year my, my goals come true because I believe I can and, I, and then I take the actions that are required to do it. All right, tell us, can you tell, you mentioned it, so can you tell us a few of those? Sure. You know, uh, I am, they all start with, I am so happy and grateful that I am. So I'm so happy and grateful that I am celebrating a thousand people having signed up for our train the trainer program. I'm so happy and grateful that I am achieving my perfect body weight of 195 pounds or less. I'm so happy and grateful that I have an ecstatic relationship with my wife, Inga. So it goes like that. Those are the things that I'm affirming relationships, my health, my, my, you know, happiness, things like that. And also any goals I have, you know, I'm so happy and grateful that our book, I can't believe in myself has sold 20,000 copies, you know, things like that. Do you wake up in the morning and repeat these, what you say, 10 affirmations every morning? I do. I, I, what I recommend for anyone, including children and adults is uh, in the morning, first thing, and right before you go to bed. And it's not just affirming it, but it's also adding visualization. What we know is the body is uh, auditory. We hear things, visual, we see things, and kinesthetic, we, we, we feel things. So what all the great success teachers have learned over, you know, starting back with Epictetus, you know, and, and people like Sophocles, you know, Sophocles and Aristotle and the great sages of India and so forth, is that whatever you want, you have to affirm that you already have it act as if you have it, visualize what it would look like if you had it, and feel the feelings at the same time. So I'm auditory saying it, visualizing through my eyes what I would see in the outside world, you know, a bookstore window full of my books, my wife smiling at me, my body in the mirror with the perfect body weight, a check for a million dollars, whatever it might be, (laughs) and then feel the feelings I would feel if I already had it, feelings of gratitude, feelings of relief, feelings of joy, of excitement, whatever it might be. When you do that, it's like your, you mentioned your grand, was it your son, the, the swimmer? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, son. Yeah. Yeah. He literally would wake up and before the race, he would visualize himself winning. He'd feel the feelings of what it would feel like and he'd be repeating, I'm doing this, you know? So kids do it naturally. You walk into a kid's room and you see their wall is covered with pictures of soccer players. They're, they're reading soccer magazine. They're buying soccer balls. They have soccer shirts on the wall. They wear soccer uniforms. You know, they're just, they're, they're, they're in it. And, and that's what you have to do. You have to immerse yourself in what you want to be as if you're already there. We call it acting as if. And so, um, you know, even when, you know, the churches for years have said people should tithe. Well, what happens when you tithe? Tithing means I have enough. I wouldn't be tithing if I didn't have enough, if I didn't have excess, if I wasn't abundant. So just that activity changes your entire sense of yourself in relation to money. And so there's so many things that we've been doing without knowing why we're doing. And now with neuroscience and quantum physics and all of these sciences, we're beginning to understand what the, um, how the brain works and, and why these things work. Just, I mean, this book is for children. Well, it's for mm-hmm. children and grandparents and parents and teachers. But 
what happens is you start to, I mean, aging. Let's take it to the other end because we have a huge aging population. And how Mm -hmm. does this work? Because people, as they age, seem to sometimes lose some of this and they get depressed and they feel like they can't do it because maybe they can't do it in the same way that they used to do it, whatever whatever Mm -hmm. they were doing. So how, you know, how does, how can, how can this work for, for, for that pop, that, those demographics? Sure. Well, obviously as we age, I mean, you know, there, there's a few things I can't do the same way I used to. I, I used to play rugby. <laughs> I can't do that at 76 <laughs> anymore. You know, it's like, Don't a, do it. <laughs> my spine, my spine won't take it. But, um, the reality is, one of my good friends is a man named W. Mitchell, who is very inspirational. He's a speaker like I am. And one of the things that happened to him, he was in a motorcycle accident, and he was burned over three-quarters of his body. And um, when that happens, if you're burned that way, you've seen it, where you lose your fingers. They, they, you end up with, like, stumps on the end of your hand. And what he teaches people is he said, look, when that happened, I realized... There was about a thousand things I couldn't do anymore. I couldn't play chopsticks on the piano. I couldn't eat with chopsticks. You know, I couldn't throw a football. But there's still thousands of things I can do. And that's what I had to focus on. I can still talk. I can write. I can travel. I can sing. I can be inspiring. I can read books. There's all the things that are still possible. And so it's always focusing on what you can do, not what you can't do. And so as we get older, there are certain things that perhaps I can't, you know, hike up a mountain as fast as I used to. You know, I have some lower back pain based on a disc that that got ruptured a few years ago. But I can still play ping pong. I can still play pool. I can hang out with my grandson. We can throw a football in the backyard if I don't run too fast, you know. So focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. And there's a million things you can still do. And that's the important thing is, you know. And the other thing I always teach everybody is everything in the universe is happening for you, not to you. And sometimes when we, as we get older, we slow down, but as we slow down, we become wiser. You know, you can be a better parent because now you're a grandparent. You can actually spend better time with your younger children than you did when you were young, when you were busy and you had all these other commitments that you might have had. So I think that everything is, has to be held in perspective and focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Yeah, and that was actually, I think you answered my question you can do some things not just i can do them and i can do different things but you can do some things even better as you're saying you can be a better grandparent or better yeah and you obviously you had a lot more experiences in all areas of your life so you should be able to be better in yeah in a lot of areas rather than just i can do it um well this is probably my last question because we only have three minutes left but because uh, you mentioned, obviously, you've been talking about your grandson, Ozzy. I think you dedicated the book to him. Did did you, yes. like, beta test this book on him? I mean, or do you <laughs> – or what was his response? He's the uh, age Yeah, group, I, I did. Think. I did. It, well, we we tested it with a lot of kids. That's something we yeah. learned to do with Chicken Soup for the Soul. Every story in a Chicken Soup for the Soul book has been read by 40 people and uh-huh. scored on a scale of 1 to 10 before it ever made it into a book. So we knew the book, the stories that were 9.5 and above, that's what we wanted in the books. And so we had this book read by a lot of kids. And what was fun is uh, Ozzy just visited me about three weeks ago for four days, and he read the book to me. <laughs> and he's only, he'll be eight. And so uh, I think I only had to help him with two words. And it's like he's living the book. And I think the other thing we're hearing is parents who read the book to the kids are saying, wow, it's reminding me that I have a lot of I can't attitudes that I need to let go of. 
And so we're finding the adults who read these books to the kids are getting as much value out of it as the kids who are hearing it. And it's funny, kids love to read the same book over and over. And if you change one word, they know you did it, you know, kind of thing. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so so we're, we're finding the kids love to hear this book over and over as well. So we think it's going to become a classic in that sense. That's great. But what we've got to go, go out and buy the book, give us a website we can go to. Uh, and the title of the book is I Can Believe in Myself, Jack Canfield. So um, the website, yeah, we pe- can buy it. Yeah. Well, people can go to the usual places, you know, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or if you have a bookstore, they'll order it for you if you want to support your local bookstores. And you can find out more about me at uh, JackCanfield.com. I do a lot of online workshops, and we have home study courses and other books for adults and kids as well. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. 